The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com slash partner. You would uh, grab a Bible. We should have some in the seats near you. And go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. Uh, we'll get it started there. Again, John chapter 13. Uh, we're uh, really concluding a series today. We've been in the middle of a series that we just call uh, I Am God. Uh, we're looking in the book of John at the different statements that Jesus is making uh, about himself that reveal who he is, and specifically all of them actually reveal that he is God, that he is a man, yes, but he is, he is not just any man, that he is God in the flesh that has come to be with us that we might know him. He is God revealing himself to us that he might save us and we might come to know him. I always say a lot of people have many different views on who Jesus is, what Jesus was really uh, all about. If we want to know who Jesus is, we go straight to the source, we go straight to him and hear about his, his character, who he is, what he came to do directly from him. So again, we've been looking at these, these I am statements. When Jesus says, I am blank, what is he revealing to be true about himself? Again, we'll be in John chapter 13 to, to find our I am statement today. We'll, we'll read the end of chapter 13 and the beginning of chapter 14 uh, as, we, as we get into it. The context for uh, this specific passage of Scripture that we'll be in today, Jesus is in his last night with his disciples. So the book of John actually spends a lot of time in that conversation that Jesus has with his disciples of uh, the night that he is abducted and taken away to be crucified. So you know everything that he's saying here is of very high importance with him, right? If you have people you love that you've been walking in relationship with for, for about three years or so, and you know this is your last night with them, your words are going to be heavy. There's going to be a weightiness to that moment. And so Jesus is going to share many, many things with them. And we'll be looking at one of those things today. And this is, again, this is likely what he is saying to them during the Passover meal that he has with them as he institutes communion. We'll start at John chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus is talking about his crucifixion that's going to be happening uh, likely within the next 24 hours of so. And he said, I'm going somewhere, and you're not going to be able to come with me. He's referring to his death. He's referring for, to his crucifixion. Again, this is the night that he's going to be kidnapped and taken away. Verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, and while I'm going to be gone to this place that you can't come, you, you guys have to love each other the way that I have loved you. Right? I extended my love to you, I showed my love to you, I took care of you. Now you guys have to love each other in the same way because I'm going to be gone for a little while. I'm going to be away, so now you guys have to love each other the way that I have loved you. And he says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, even though I'm going to be gone, if you love each other with the same type of love that I have had for you, then other people will see that love in you and know that you are actually my disciples. They'll know that you're truly my followers, even though I am gone when they see you loving each other the way that I have loved you. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. 
And Peter, you know, Peter always ready. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So Jesus is like, you can't come with me, Peter. Jesus like, I mean, Peter's like, well, why I can't come? Peter's like, I'm, I'm, I'm ride or die. I'm A1 since day one. I'm ready. I'm down for whatever, Jesus. I'm ready. Let's go. I'll die for you. Just say the word. Verse 38. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus says, I hear you saying that you're you're ready to die for me. But Peter, before the sun comes up in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Before the sun comes up on the next day. We're going to continue on to chapter 14. Before I do that, let me make sure we, we're clear on this. When the original text was written, when John wrote this letter, there's no chapters and verses in it, right? So we're going to transition right into chapter 14, understanding there's no, there's no break in this story. I think a lot of times when we see the chapters, we think, oh, this is on to another story. This is actually the same conversation just flowing right through. Chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He said, don't let your heart be troubled by the fact that I have to leave. I'm going to be gone for a while, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to bring you to the place that I am preparing for you. So don't let your heart be troubled over this news that I am leaving, this, this news that I am leaving you for now. He says, in my father's house where I'm going, there are many rooms. He's saying there's going to be enough space for, for everyone there, everyone who follows me, everyone that I, that I come back for to bring with me. My, in my father's house, there's, there's many rooms. There's going to be plenty of space. I'm, go, I'm going to make it right for you. But he's going to be gone for a little while, verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going, Jesus says. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? So Jesus is like, you know the way I'm going. And, and, and Thomas is like, Jesus, you're always talking to these riddles and parables. Don't nobody know what you be talking about. How can we know the way? Thomas asks. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, you know the way because you know me and I am the way. Jesus is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know the way because I have been walking with you. That's what he's saying to Thomas. That's our I am statement for the day. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life. As I always say, he's using the word the, the way, the truth, the life. He's not saying I am one of many. He's saying I am the one. There is one true way to God. There is one ultimate truth that we all must believe in, and there's one ultimate eternal life that only I offer. There is no other way to get to God the Father than through me, is the claim that Jesus is making, right? When Jesus makes these I am statements, he's drawing a line in the sand. Right, this is a statement you either believe or you don't. You accept it or you reject it. There's no neutral ground with Jesus. He doesn't leave any room for that. When he makes these I am statements, either you believe what I am saying or you're calling me to be a liar. There is no in between. There's no gray in the middle here. Either I am the only way to God and I am everything that I claim to be or I am a liar and you should not listen to anything that I say. We either believe and follow him wholeheartedly and worship him and know that he is worthy of all of our worship, or we might as well never bring him up again. 
There is no middle ground. He's not just some nice guy that we should listen to sometimes if he fits our agenda or fits our schedule or whatever. He's either the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to find salvation, or he's a liar, and we should forget that he ever existed. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says in his father's house, it has many rooms, but he has to leave. He has to go prepare it. Well, how does he leave? He has to die. Well, how does he die? He's crucified. He's condemned on the cross in the place of his people for the sins of the world. He's condemned by his fathers. He is judged for the sins of the world. This is how he prepares the place for us, through his death on the cross. Just so we're clear on why he had to do that. Everyone in this room, everyone you've ever met, everyone you've ever seen is a lawbreaker, has turned away from God, has shown with our actions that we think we're smarter than God, we think we're wiser than God, we think our way is better than God's way. We've all rebelled against him. We've all desired to have the blessings from his hand without desiring to know his heart. We've all desired for him to provide for us without wanting him to guide us, without wanting to listen to him. We're all lawbreakers. We all deserve to be cast out of the presence of God because of our sin, because of our rebellion. We've all shown in our actions that oftentimes we don't really want God. I mean, we want God to prevent anything catastrophic from happening in our lives. or We want God to help us if something catastrophic does happen. But on the day-to-day, we have shown at times in our lives that we don't desire him. We've lied because we value keeping ourselves in a comfortable situation more than we value honoring God. We've been selfish with our time, our energy, our resources, our possessions, because we care oftentimes more about our stuff than we care about the people that God calls us to love. We're oftentimes more committed to Twitter and Facebook feeds than we are the Word of God. We're often more committed to our favorite TV shows than sharing Christ with those who don't know him. And because of that truth, that all of us are guilty before God, that all of us have broken his laws time and time again. We see, we we love and we worship God because of beautiful verses like 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is why he had to go. This is why he had to leave. This is why he had to die. Because in order for us to have eternal, eternal life, we, got, we had to have something done about this guilt that we all carry. By the fact that all of us are lawbreakers and all of us have turned away from God and all of us have rejected God. But we have passages like this beautiful scriptures that show us that he took our sin upon himself when he died on the cross in our place. That he, as if he lifted our sin and our, and our unrighteousness off of us and put it on himself. And he was condemned in our place. And he gave us credit for his righteousness. And as the verse says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thus welcoming sinners and lawbreakers and those who have turned away from God and those who have disrespected God and those who haven't wanted God. If we would just come to him humbly and repent and turn from our sins and turn to him that we will be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. That those who deserve to be condemned will be justified. That those who deserve to be cast out of his presence will be welcomed in as sons and daughters. This is why he had to leave. This is why he had to die. This is why he is the only way into the kingdom. This is why he's the only way to this heavenly home that he talks about. Because he's the only one who has paid the penalty for sin. 
You can check a lot of different religions, a lot of different faiths. No, one, no, no other major world religion even claims that someone has come and dealt with the actual sin that justice demands be dealt with. There's no one else who even claims that they have done that. And we all know that there, there's no way that there can be a real God who has any type of justice and thus let sinful people into eternal paradise and eternal life unless something is done about the sin, unless there's some type of justice brought to the sin. There's no way he could be a God of justice and not do something about the sin and the guilt that we all have. You can check any other faith or religion. You'll find none that have a perfect Savior that goes and dies in the place of his enemies that we might be welcomed in to his kingdom forever. We know that God is a God of justice. He must punish, punish sin which means all of us on our own, everyone, everyone on the earth, on our own, are guilty before God. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. It doesn't matter. If you save a million people's lives and you steal something from someone, what does that make you? And a thief. I don't care how many people you have saved. It doesn't matter how many people you have saved. If you murder someone, you're a murderer. If you steal from someone, you're a thief. Our good works are not good enough to get us into the kingdom because God is a righteous judge. And so Jesus then must be the only way to God. Every other faith and religion outside of faith in Christ will lead you astray. And hear me on this, will ultimately lead to your condemnation before God. Any other way, any other faith, any other religion, any other so-called savior that comes, any other so-called prophet If it does not lead you to Jesus, it results in your condemnation before God. The people who say that all religions ultimately lead to the same place are wrong. That's a lie. I'll go as far as to say that's demonic. That is anti the gospel of Jesus. Everyone who does not know Christ will spend eternity under the condemnation of God. As Christians, we can't skate around this truth. It's very important that we do not skate around this truth. It's hard to hear. I'll be honest, oftentimes I don't even like to say it myself, but we cannot skate around these truths that we see in the Word, that He is the only way to God. Because of the exclusive nature of this claim, I would say that out of all the I am statements that we've gone through, this is the one that people oftentimes hate the most, especially people who don't know Christ. This is, this is the reason people make fun of Christians, insult, and look down on Christians. Oftentimes calling us arrogant. You can't possibly say that your way is the only way, can you? How are you going to discount all these other religions and say that your way is the right way? You can't do that. Many hate this claim. Many call Christians Arrogance. I actually had a lady who's a Christian, been Christian for a long time, that came to me and asked me the question, are we bigots? Are we as Christians bigots for us to say that, our, that Jesus is actually the only way? Are we overly intolerant of other people and other faiths and other religions? I don't have time to get into all the pushbacks that people have against this claim of Jesus. I do want to take some time to expose one particular argument that I hear a lot these days. That's actually very weak if you think about it. It's a very weak argument, but still gets a lot of people to, to fall for it. Some people would say, it's incredibly arrogant to say that your way is the only right way and that every other way is wrong. Many people will argue that these different religions 
right, are, are, are different sides of the same mountain, right? Like we're all climbing the same mountain. We're all getting to the same de- destination. No matter what faith it is, we're all going to the same place. And Christians are kind of on one side of the mountain, right? And all we can see is the side we're climbing up. And then, and then Hindus are, are on another side of the mountain. And they can see their side, but they're all actually getting to the same place. And they say, as Christians, we're arrogant if we would say that our way is the only way. We're just not seeing the full picture, they're saying we're arrogant for saying that we can see the full picture and know exactly which way is the right way and which way is not. But the people who say that, in order for you to make a claim that this faith sees one side and this faith sees another side and this faith over here sees another side of the mountain, is to say you're the only one that actually has the full picture. Do you know how arrogant it is to, it is to say, oh, well, I know what's true about this religion, I know what's true about that one, and this one is just one side? You, you, you are saying that I have the ultimate view of all reality and all faith and about how to actually get to God. Anybody who comes at Christianity and says, hey, that, it's arrogant for you to say you're the only way when all these other religions are also the way, that's actually the most arrogant statement to make. Because you're claiming to have a, an ultimate view that rises above all others. But yet many will still call us arrogant. Many will reject us. But if you say that Jesus is the only way today, or I should say, as Christians, we should always continue to proclaim this truth despite of the opposition that we will face. And again, this, this particular statement, I would say, gets more opposition than any of the others that we have covered. But we can't let that stop us. We cannot let that stop us from continuing to share Christ with those who do not know him. There's two things I want to draw out of this passage, that, just two more things, two more points that I primarily want to make. As I was just going through this passage, two things that kind of jumped off the page at me as I was looking at this, this, this truth that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. The first one is that we should share Christ relentlessly. All right, so this first one is, is what we do. The next one will be what God does. This first one is what we do. We should share Christ relentlessly. Think about this. If we believe in this concept that Jesus is the absolute only way to God, the only way to eternal life, then we should give our lives to sharing his message with those who don't know him. If we truly believe that, if that's where we truly are, if that's where our heart, if that's what our heart and our soul believes, then we should be relentless. Nothing should stop us from living lives committed to sharing this good news of Jesus. But at the same time, if this statement makes us overly uncomfortable, if this statement, if, it, if, it, if, if we shy away from it, if we push back because of how uncomfortable it might make us, it'll have the opposite effect, right? It'll, it'll, it'll cause us to actually be demotivated from sharing who Christ is. If we don't, if we don't ever, we don't ever want to think about eternal condemnation, we don't ever want to think about the fact that those who don't know Jesus won't go on to be with him, then why, why even share the good news with anybody? If that's not true, if we don't truly believe that, then why, why would we even share Christ with people? This decreases our motivation, but this truth that he is the way, the only way, needs to be in the front of our minds all the time. That he is the only way home, if you would. You see, uh, many of you guys know this. My, I have a son. 
uh, named Malachi. He has uh, a venous vascular malformation. Basically, uh, long story short, he has to have a lot of uh, recurring surgery. So he's five years old. He's had 21 surgeries to date. He has his surgeries at uh, Boston Children's Hospital. It's a very uncomfortable time and situation for him. Every time that we go, uh, they obviously put him under. Oftentimes, they have to use a breathing tube. So when he does wake up, he has this very, very, very sore throat. Oftentimes, he can't even talk. He has these IVs in. He has the EKG leads that are, that are hooked up to him. He's extremely, extremely fatigued. It probably takes about a full week until he's fully back to being himself. And when he wakes up out of the, the surgery, oftentimes his face is extremely swollen. Oftentimes he can only see out of one eye because his face is so, so swollen. It's, it's swollen, shut, swollen shut. And one of the things that he says is that I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I, I don't want to be here anymore. I just want to go home. So there's something about in a life where you suffer, where you're in pain, that you just want to go to whatever, whatever place is home, whatever home looks like for you. There's a desire to go and be there. And Jesus is saying, I'm the way home. In my father's house, there, there are many rooms. There, there is an eternal home for the people of God. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. We can't shy back from sharing that with people if we truly love them. To know that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. How unbelievably selfish is it for us to know that he's the only true way home and not share it with those who don't know him? How unbelievably selfish is it for us to allow the fear of man or the fear of rejection or the fear of people not liking us to cause us to to shy away from sharing who Christ is with people? When he's the only cure to the biggest sickness that we have. When he is the only solution to the greatest problem in the world, how unbelievably selfish is it? Yes, people are going to reject us. Yes, it's going to require patience. Yes, it's going to require awkward conversations at times. But how how ridiculously selfish is it to not share the only true way, the truth, and the life? Fam, everyone you know, everyone you've ever seen, everyone that you love, if by the time this life is over, if they haven't believed the good news of Jesus, they, they won't be able to experience eternity with God forever. The gospel which we believe in is the eternal cure for all suffering and darkness. As a church, what are we even doing if we aren't coming together to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him? What are we even doing? What are we even here for? If we're not committed to that. If the church truly has, and we do, the only way to eternal life, and we do not share that, we are the most cruel entity on the planet. If we as a church do not share the good news of Jesus, the only way, the only truth, the only life, if we are not sharing this good news, how cruel are we? I mean, that's criminal. Consider someone who found a a, a cure for cancer and just didn't share it with anybody. That's, that's, that's criminal. That's hatred. I know it requires strong sacrifice sharing Christ. I know it's going to require a, a, a being willing to, to, to part ways with our own comfort, being willing to, 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 to rearrange our schedules, being willing to do things that we oftentimes don't feel like doing. But if he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life, it's worth it, fam. The sacrifice is always worth it. 
It's always worth it. When I was in uh, high school, uh, I played uh, football. Wasn't very good, mediocre at best, not the point. Um, I didn't like practice. Uh, the, the, the lifting weights and stuff, that was fine, but I didn't, you know, nobody wants to be, be practicing two a days in the summer and then be lifting weights as well. Like, there's a, there's a level, there was an investment in that. Here's the thing. Not only was I not good at it, I really didn't enjoy it all that much. I just dreamed of a day where I would make a big play on a Friday night and everybody would see it. I catch an interception, running back, never did it, never happened. I committed four years. I don't know how many hours I committed to playing football. I don't know how much I sacrificed for that. But because the eternal goal was worth it, not the eternal goal, I should say, but because the goal, the future goal was worth it to me, I was willing to sacrifice whatever I needed to sacrifice because I found it to be worth it. That's how we always operate. You have things you sacrifice tremendously for. You have things you put yourself through great discomfort for. You have things you rearrange your schedule for, and Jesus is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. What is more worthy of sacrificing our time for? What is more worthy of us coming together and rallying together than sharing the good news of Jesus to those who do not know him? Truth is, we all sacrifice for what we love the most, for what we look forward to the most, for what we desire the most. Uh, for those of you who, uh, who may not know, I believe most of you in the room should, should know by now, um, as a church, uh, we're on the move, so we're going to be changing uh, locations. I'll give you more information about that at the end of our time uh, together uh, today. Basically, this building is being sold, so we have to uh, relocate. I actually have some really good news for you that I'll, that I'll share a little bit later. I had a, there was a pastor who was asking me uh, about our, our emergency uh, member meeting that we had uh, just a few weeks ago. He was asking me, that, and that was where we broke the news to everybody. It's like, hey, this building is being sold. We do have to move. We have to go somewhere else. I had a pastor that asked me about it, and he was like, Aunt, how did, uh, how did the meeting go? And I was like, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty good. I think, I think it went pretty good. I mean, it was a tough meeting, but I think it went pretty good. Uh, and he was like, well, how did the people, uh, how did the congregation, how did your members respond uh, to what you said? And I was like, I think people actually responded really well. And he was like, well, how did, how did you know, what specifically, how did people respond? And I was like, well, uh, there, there was some confusion which should be expected. And, he, and I was like, and we had some, some people crying. He was like, I was like, we had some, some tears. I mean, almost to the point of weeping on that night. He, he didn't understand. He said, why were people crying? Why, why were people crying? And when he said that, when he asked me that question, why were people crying? So many things. It, it was like open up in my mind and in my heart when he said that because he didn't, he didn't have a category for the reason that people were crying. He's a pastor. He, he didn't have a category. And I told him the, the reason we had a lot of people crying there is because our people have so invested in this neighborhood, so invested in this community. We built so many relationships. We, we care so deeply about people in this neighborhood that knowing that there's going to be a change that changes the way that we have to go about doing that, that causes grief for us. I said, that causes grief in us. We, we've built relationships. We so love the people here that, that it caused literal tears as I was sharing this with people. I told him because we love the neighborhood of Pinehurst. Because we know Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And there are people in this neighborhood who don't know Jesus. And we, we, we find it a privilege and an honor to be able to witness and minister to them and share Christ with them. I told him, I said, man, if you would have asked me, so uh, we've been in church for right about uh, five years now. I, t- I said, 
if you would have asked me five years ago, and I, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys ever picked up on this. I, I have always known that this place here on Schoolhouse Road was, was not our uh, long-term location. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you noticed this or not. Every time when I would talk about the farmer's market or different things that we do in the area, I would always say, as long as God has us here, he wants a, we, we want to be a church not just in the community, but for the community. I knew, I knew this time would come. If you would have asked me five years ago, Aunt, what would you want the response to be? When you have to stand up in front of your people and tell them that we have to leave, that we can't be here any longer. If you would have asked me what would you want the response to be, I think I would have sat there for a second and said, I would want there to be tears that night. I would want there to be some amount of grief because our people see ministry in this neighborhood not just as checking off some Christian box so God will say, yeah, you're doing a good job or you're doing what you're supposed to do or not just some checklist thing that we're doing because we feel like we're obligated to do it, but because we actually care and have compassion for people who do not know Jesus. And there are people in this room today who are still feeling the grief, who are still going through the confusion and still trying to cope with the fact that it's going to look different for us now. And that grief tells us, that means we truly love this neighborhood and the neighbors here. And honestly, I want to encourage some of you in your grief that it's a sign that the Holy Spirit himself has been at work in your heart. Because there's some of you who, who I saw in this room that were crying that night who if not for your commitment to the church, if not for your commitment to Jesus, you would have never come down Schoolhouse Road. And now five years later, crying because we have to leave. Why? Because the Holy Spirit himself has been at work, and he's been cultivating that love in your heart, and he's been reminding us that there is only one way to God, and it is Jesus Christ himself. Your tears are evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. Your tears are evidence that Jesus Christ, who goes to the lowly, who goes to those who are in need, has has put his love in your heart. And you shine as an example to all of us. And your grief shines, your, your grief and your love and your compassion, it, it, it leads us, it shows us what, what, it, what it should look like when you actually believe that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. I was inspired. I was so, I was so inspired. After I had that conversation with my, I, I, I literally, I had a moment with the Lord where I was like, God, I, I don't deserve a church that loves like this. This is one of the most beautiful things that I have ever seen. That the people of God would be so connected with those who, who outside of what Christ is calling us to as a church, people we would have never known, we would have never crossed paths with, we would have never ministered to. But because of what Christ has done in our lives, he's so attached us to those that he loves. And he has given us a love for. For, for. for other people, maybe there weren't tears. For other people, I've had probably about five of you come up to me and, and be like, okay, and so how are we going to continue to reach out to the people in this neighborhood? And I love that question because just, just so we're clear, just so you know uh, how, how I get approached as a pastor of the church. The question was not, are we going to continue to reach out to people in this neighborhood? The question is, okay, so how are we going to continue to reach out to people in the neighborhood since, since we move? And it sounds like a subtle thing. One of those starts... It begins with the assumption that I know we're going to continue to reach out to them, right? I know we're going to continue to show love to the people in this neighborhood. I'm not, I'm not asking you if that's going to happen. I'm asking you to tell me how is that going to happen. That tells me there's a deep-rooted determination that we're not going to abandon the people that God called us to, that we're not just going to up and turn away from people that we have been building relationships with. 
Some of you probably haven't heard this. Uh, since we started doing our prayer walks, one of the things that we track uh, is as we go pray for people, we often ask, hey, is it, would, be, would it be okay if we returned, if we came back uh, to, to pray for you more, maybe to spend more time with you? And if they indicate uh, a high level of receptivity to us coming back, we just log that into a Google form. And right now we have almost 70 homes in this neighborhood, 70 doors in this neighborhood that have, that have indicated, yes, we would love for you to come back and pray for us and, and spend time with us. And there are people coming to me and saying, hey, I, I, God, open up these doors for us. I know you're not saying we're not going to continue to reach out in this neighborhood. I love that passion. That inspires and encourages me. You lead us. You know that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And so you shine as lights and examples for us through your grief, through your desire to continue to serve and do ministry in this very neighborhood. And I praise God for you. The first thing that jumped out to me is we should share Christ relentlessly. That's what we do. That's what we ought to do. The second thing that jumped out to me in this passage about Jesus, we find in verse 3 again. John chapter 14, verse 3. I don't know if you missed this. The first time I, first few times I read through this, I missed what Jesus was actually saying. I want to go back through it because it's, it's incredibly important and beautiful. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to what? To myself, he says. Let me read that again. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and, t- and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. People who hate this claim about Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, I think they often don't understand what we as Christians know eternal life to be. Here's what I mean when I say that. Jesus says, I'm going to take you to myself. I'm going to take you to myself. He doesn't just talk about it as a a random place, as some random home that's kind of ambiguous. He's saying, no, the ultimate goal is I am bringing you to me. We're being taken to Jesus to be with him forever. We're going to be with him. We're not primarily just going to a place where everything is good. We're primarily being taken to a place where we can finally ultimately be with the one who is the essence of everything that is good in the universe. So when people have a problem with Christians saying, I don't like that you're saying the only way to true eternal life is through Jesus, we're saying he's the destination. He's what we ultimately want. We're saying he's the gate that lets us in. He's the way that gets us there. And he's the destination at the end of it that we've been after the whole time. What do you mean you don't like the idea that he's the only way? He's the only thing we're trying to get to. It's always been about him. What what we understand eternal life to be is life with Jesus. It is life with him. Jesus says in John chapter 17 that eternal life is knowing God. That that's what eternal life is, that we get to go and be with him. Those who disagree with us, that he is the only true way to eternal life. I would say to them, he is the only eternal life. He is, being with him is eternal life. That heaven is in heaven if he's not there. That heaven isn't primarily a place where we have all the bad things taken away. Heaven is primarily a place where we go to be with the one who takes all the bad things away. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. I brought up an earlier story about my son Malachi and how as he's suffering, as he's going through the difficulties in his life or difficulties with the, with the surgeries and everything that comes afterward, he always just says, I, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. 
I want to ask you, do you believe when he, what he's looking forward to the most in his home? Do you believe it's because of our physical address? Do you think it's because of the, the color of the paint on the walls or the furniture or the hardwood floors? Is that what he is actually looking forward to? It can't be. Because half the time he says, I want to go home, and half the time he says, I want to go, I want to go and be with my brother and with my Gigi. That's what he calls his grandma. Because home for him is not, it's not simply a physical place, but it's the people that cause the place to be special. It's the time that he has with the people that he's in relationship with that make home what it is. And for the believer, we're looking to go away and be with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The one who is the light of the world that guides us in the darkness. The one who is the bread of life that satisfies all of our deepest longings and cravings. We're going to be with the one who is the good shepherd. The one who protects us and leads us to green pastures. We're going to be with the one who is the true vine. The one that allows us to bear fruit if we are connected to him. We are going to be with the great I am, the all-powerful one who no one compares to. We're going to be with the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who undoes everything that sin destroyed in his creation. He's the one we want. He's the one we need. He's the destination. He is the one that we're after. Of course, he's the only way. He's the only destination that we're truly after. And heaven is in heaven if he isn't there. People are like, how can you say Jesus is the only way to heaven? I'm like, because he is heaven. I just want to be like, have, have you read about him in the scripture? Have, have you noticed his compassion and mercy as he continues to go on and heal people who are afflicted and who are sick? Have you seen the love, the grace, the forgiveness as he has extended the sinners like me, the sinners like you? Have you seen his power over nature as he calms the storms even just with his words? Have you seen his victory over sin as he lives a completely perfect life? Have you seen his victory over death as he was raised from the dead? Have you seen his victory over Satan as even demons submit to his authority? Have you seen how near he is to the outcasts, to the lonely, to the marginalized as he spends time with the sinners and the tax collectors and the Samaritan woman at the well who would have been an outcast in her society? Have you seen him in his word? Have you seen his justice and his righteousness as he judges and condemns sin, but yet finds a way to justify all who turn away from sin and turn to him? What, what else do you want? What do you think you could get that's better than that? It's him. He's the gate that lets us in. He's the good shepherd that gets us along the path. He is the path. And he's the one waiting at the end of it to welcome us into his paradise and life with him forever. As he said in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. Because he is what is truly good. And he is what is going to make heaven home and we're going to be with him and we're going to enjoy him forever. And in the meantime, we're going to labor and want to work and want to sacrifice and we're going to work together to try to welcome as many people and invite as many other people in to go be with him forever. And we're going to put our blood, sweat, and tears into it until he calls us to go and be with him. I want to pray for us, and we'll, we'll partake in communion together. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for you this morning. Father, you've been so good to us. You give us yourself, Father. We didn't deserve to be with you, Father. We didn't do anything to earn favor with you. But you made a way. You made a way for us. God, we, we were in desperate need. We needed your love. We needed your grace. We needed your forgiveness, Father. We needed you to be 
our Savior. We needed you to be our God. We needed forgiveness from you. And so, Father, we are grateful for what you've done. We're grateful that you are the way. We're thankful that you are the truth and the life. Father, would you send us out to be with you? Father, will we understand this truth that you are the only way to eternal life? And as we understand it, God, would you, would you cause this, this urgent desire to kind of well up in us, Father, to go and share who you are with those who don't know you? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.